Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringba. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I love that this church worships like we know that Friday isn't the end of the story. There should be no joyous noise, no more joyous noise on the face of planet earth than the coming together of God's people to sing his praise because he is living and he is among us and there is hope for us now in this day and there is hope for us to come. That ought to stir our souls to a place where we rejoice with everything within us. And I love it like we worship that we know that Sunday's coming. Take a seat. It's great to be with you on this Good Friday. It's great to have some of our Sea Change family here with us. Welcome if you're joining us from Sea Change this morning. It's great to have you. This is Brooke. If you don't know Brooke, Brooke's our pastor at, uh, down at Genali at Sea Change. And uh, good to have you here, Brooke. It's, um, and all the... All the crew. um, I'm going to read two passages of Scripture. Uh, So if you'd like to get your Bible uh, out, you can do that. This would be an appropriate moment to do so. Um, Otherwise, it will be on the screen. I'm not sure about this whole screen thing if we're making you a lazy church who don't bring your Bibles with you. Bring your Bible to church. I know it's on your phone, uh, but uh, always good to process the Word through the, the ways that you do during the week. Don't just rely on what's going on up here and up here. Uh, make a good habit of bringing with you your own sword. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 in your Bible, that is the big nine, the little 11. And it says this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall become like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Blood and water feature as significant resources and symbols right throughout the biblical narrative. And I guess that being a book about life, this ought not to surprise us. Blood and water are uncompromisingly essential for life. We should know this. Our bodies are full of both. Blood is a rich scarlet soup full of proteins and cells that keeps us alive. 
It plays an important role in regulating all of our body's systems and maintaining a fancy world called homeostasis, a place of internal steadiness within our bodies. Blood performs many functions within the body, including supplying oxygen to all of our tissues, supplying nutrients such as glucose and amino acids and all kinds of fancy scientific things um, around our bodies. Blood is essential in removing waste, such as carbon dioxide. And um, when we go to the bathroom, that is um, led by the processes in our blood. Uh, immunolo immunological functions, including our circulation of white blood cells, um, that, uh, the detection of foreign materials in our bloodstream. Blood plays a significant part in ejecting all of the things in there that shouldn't be in there. Blood is important and essential for coagulation. It is part of the body's self-repair system that when you cut yourself, it coagulates, it gets a little bit thicker and it enables the body to heal. Blood is essential for it being a messenger function that carries um, hormones and the signaling of tissue damage within the body. It regulates our pH levels. It regulates our core body temperature. Without blood, we simply cannot live. Similarly, water, all known life, requires liquid water to function properly. In fact, without water, life on earth would never have begun. It acts as a medium um, in which organic compounds can mix with one another and flow where it needs to flow to bring life. It was, in fact, water that facilitated the very formation of the first planet's life forms under the breath of God. And from those simple starter organisms to the most complex plants and animals, water has played a role in creation ever since. I mean, in us as humans, it acts as a solvent. We know water to be the universal solvent in which all of the nutrients that we need from our food and from all of the sources of um, energy that we put in, it transports it, ports it like a delivery mechanism throughout all of our body to nourish us. Our bodies use water to flush out toxins and also to regulate our body temperature and aid our metabolism. Let's thank God for blood and water. Father, we thank you that in your amazing design that you have created us with everything we need for life and to sustain life and to propagate life. Father, we thank you that within our bodies right this very moment, blood flows, that there is life within us. And Father, we thank you that you would give us a resource of water to nourish our bodies to heal our bodies, to provide crops and food on this planet, to fill the oceans with water and vibrancy. Father, we thank you that blood and water exist in Jesus' name. About 1,400 years ago, before Jesus' time, the, the nation of um, Israel, the Jewish people, um, who were at the time God's covenant people, found themselves captive by the global superpower, Egypt. Pharaoh, the grand poobah of Egypt, he was a hard man. He treated the Israelites like rubbish. This is found in the Exodus account. He made them work as slaves without proper pay, 
without uh, proper working conditions, without proper treatment. God's people under Pharaoh were afflicted. They were held captive. They were treated with harshness and cruelty. God's people, the ones destined to be blessed, to bless the world, were waylaid in their tracks and had their hopes of being the great nation of God's people to be the light in the world dashed. Their promise uh, from their forefathers of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob to be a great nation under this oppression was all but lost. So God, as he does, he hears the cries of his people. He took drastic action to disarm Pharaoh and his power over them. He sent a, um, a plague of blood to fill the Nile River, a plague of frogs to overrun the Egyptians, a, a plague of gnats to annoy them, flies to frustrate them, a plague that killed off all of the Egyptian livestock but left the Israel's animals alone. A plague of boils that inflicted them. Hail that wiped out all of their farms and crops and trees until there was nothing green left in the land. He sent a plague of darkness that lasted for three days, but yet for Israel there was still light. But still Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go. After all of this action... Yet God had one more trick up his sleeve, one that he knew would bring Pharaoh to his knees, one perhaps that might just light the light switch in Pharaoh's heart to realize that indeed Pharaoh isn't God, but the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel is. Before, though, he let this next play go, he gathered all of his people and he had a quiet word to them. Okay, my family, I'm about to do something and I need you all to listen. I'm going to take out the firstborn of every family in Egypt, Pharaoh's family included. An angel is of death is going to pass over the land tonight. But rest assured, it's not going to come near you. I will save you all. To make sure, though, that this angel of death doesn't pass your house or inflict anything on your home, I need you to take a lamb. I need you to take a lamb that is without blemish. I need you to take a male lamb, a one-year-old. And on the 14th day of this month, he was telling his family, his people, I want you to take it and I want you to kill the lamb at twilight. Then I want you to take some of the blood and I want you to... Put some on your doorposts, one on the left and one on the right and one across the lintel at the top. Then I want you to have a barbecue and everyone's getting excited in Israel. <laughs> Grill the lamb, I bags the cutlets. No, I want the leg, you know. It's, I want you to have a barbecue. There's no leftovers. That night I will pass over the land and when I see the blood on your doors, I will pass over you, the plague of death, will not touch you nor destroy you. So at midnight, as Exodus 12.29 records, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn in Egypt, even the firstborn of Pharaoh through to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, even the firstborn of all of the livestock. 
And when Pharaoh woke up along with the rest of Egypt, there was a great cry among the, among the nation. For in every single household of Egypt lay somebody dead. At this, Pharaoh lay defeated. He summoned Moses and Aaron. And he said, go, get up. Go from my people, both you and all of the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, but please, as you go, bless me also. In captivity, it was blood that saved them. And so off they set toward the promised land that God had told them for generations past that he would lead them into. As they traveled, there was a, a pillar of cloud in the daytime that led them and a pillar of fire at night as they walked the desert plains that led them through the night. Their journey, though, not without difficulty. They got to a point where they hit the Red Sea and all of a sudden realized that Egypt wanted them back. They looked over their shoulders to see the armies coming, but they didn't know where to go. They had no options. But in that moment, the Lord said, Shh, it's okay. Just be still. Shut up, and I will fight for you. And so in all of a sudden, in a flash of an eye, the waters parted to the left and to the right. The waters stood up still and created a passage for his people to run through. And as they did and passed the other side, they looked back and saw all of Pharaoh's chariots and all of his army collapsed in under the weight of the water to be no more. And so they continued on, wandering through the desert, unsure at times, full of hope at others. As the days and the weeks rolled on, it started getting the better of them. In Exodus 17, we read a paraphrased version of, Hey Moses, what are you thinking, boss? Have you brought us out here to die? We're pretty thirsty. There's no water out here. My kids are suffering. My, my family can't drink. My livestock are on the verge of death. Surely it would have been better for us to stay under the oppression of Pharaoh in Egypt than come out here and die without water. So God, as he did in Egypt, heard their grumbling and Moses' plea for help. God said to him, pass on before the people. Take some of the elders with you and take that stick that you used to turn the Nile red. I'll meet you at the mountain of Horeb and there I want you to strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So the rock was struck, and the water came out of him, I mean it, and the people drank deeply of the nourishing waters. In the desert, it was the water that refreshed them. In captivity, it was the blood that saved them. In the desert, it was the water that refreshed them. Blood and water salvation and refreshment. Over the last four weeks, we have been looking at moments in which Jesus changed the game. Moments for both himself and those he had interactions with literally had their lives transformed. Encounters with the living presence of God on earth and their lives would never remain the same. We began with Jesus, his baptism, 
A moment where his identity and his purpose were spoken from heaven by the Father. A moment that set the trajectory of his life and his mission on its course. We looked at the washing of the disciples' feet, a moment that demonstrated the way in God, which God works in the world. A God who humbly serves, who lays aside his own comforts and his own rights and his own dignity for the sake of others and how he calls us to do the same. We looked at the moment where Jesus was at the well with a woman from Samaria, a moment of compassion. A moment where he should, uh, sorry, a moment where um, he loved an enemy. A moment where the walls of discrimination were torn down. A moment where gender and race and relational status and geographic division and family history and theological belief and scriptural understanding and eschatological points of view were removed as barriers to the grace, mercy and compassion of his love. And then last week, we looked at the moment of the triumphant entry. I mean, a moment that actually made no sense. A moment where a king arrived in town on a donkey's baby. A moment, though, that in hindsight was in fact a moment of triumph for people like you and I. A moment that ought to cause us to reflect and lead us to worship because of the subversive counterintuitive, radically different than the world kind of love shown by God to us in Jesus. And throughout all of Jesus' life and ministry, across all of the moments that we read of him in Scripture, through the Gospels, many opinions were formed about Jesus, right? I mean, we all have our own opinions about him. Many systems of injustice and religion and power were confronted by him. Many rules were broken by him. Many barriers of exclusion and oppression that kept people out were challenged by him. Yet no moment would carry quite the weight and the power of the moment that we remember today, Good Friday. Today we remember the moment And as John records in the 19th chapter of his book, the moment that Jesus was dragged before Pilate and the crowd to face accusations of evil and wrongdoing. A moment where the crowd vied for his blood, demanding in fact that a criminal would be released to them and that Jesus would be the one to be crucified. A punishment reserved for an insurrectionist, an enemy of the state, a terrorist, if you will, a disturber of the peace and stability of the empire. This was the moment where he was dragged before the crowds. He had a crown of thorns twisted and placed upon his head that gouged at his brow. A moment of ridicule where he had a purple robe placed on his back and with all insincerity, the crowds jeered, Hail, King of the Jews! A moment where he was slapped and mocked and spat on and whipped within an inch of his life. A moment that, as John records, Jesus was burdened by the weight of a heavy Roman cross and told to carry it to the place of his death. 
A moment where the innocent, without blemish, sinless Son of God had nails driven through his hands and feet and lifted in naked shame skyward to be mocked and to suffer. A moment where a broken-hearted mother knelt as her tears soaked the ground beneath her knees and wept for the fading promise that she had received. A moment where the earth shook, the rocks split, the sky darkened, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The moment where Jesus, the one true king, the promised saviour of the world, wrangled for one last breath as he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. And John continues and records a moment unique to his account that is not recorded in either or any of the three other gospels. And it's on the screen for you, John 19, 31 to 34. Being the day of preparation for the Sabbath, the Jews didn't want the body of Jesus and the two criminals with him to remain on their crosses. They demanded that the legs be broken to expedite the deaths so they could be buried. The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Blood and water. See, what happened in the Exodus, God was in this moment seeing fulfilled in Jesus. In Egypt, God launched a campaign to save and renew the world, but it found its completion here on the cross. And today is the day that we remember that he is the Passover lamb, the unblemished, perfect man whose blood now lines the lintels of our hearts to save us from the slavery of sin. He is the water from the rock the living water, the river of life flowing from the throne of heaven to refresh and to renew our souls. With every drop of the blood of his humanity and every drip of the water of his divinity, something in this starved and thirsty earth, it began to beat again. Toward the ruins of this dead and dying world, his blood and life began to run. A raging torrent of love toward the poor. A raging torrent of love from his side toward the outcast. A raging torrent of healing toward the sick. A raging torrent of generosity toward the needy. A raging torrent of hope to the widow. A raging torrent of acceptance and welcome to the orphan, a torrent of love for the blind and the oppressed and the addicted and the unsure and the heavy laden, a rush of blood and water toward the lost, the broken and the sinner, a stream of forgiveness that flows to you and I and not one single drop is wasted. For us, his life was given 
In his blood, we have redemption. And in his healing waters, you and I this morning, we have refreshment. I mean, this was the moment that Zechariah in chapter 13, verse 1, prophesied toward when he declared, in that day there will be an opened there will be opened a fountain for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. A fountain in the sight of our Lord Jesus on the cross that would be opened for the cleansing of the world's sin and impurity. This was the moment in which John would later write in his vision from the Lord in Revelation 21, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's a good Friday. This was the moment where the blood and water flowed. Not just a rich scarlet soup of proteins and cells, but an outpouring of an eternally life-regulating resource that supplies the oxygen of heaven in our flesh. It nourishes every ounce of our being with the vitamins and the, and the minerals of God himself. This is the moment that we remember that the blood of Christ removes the toxicity of hate and pride and greed and elitism and ego from within our being. This is the day that we remember that because of his blood, our immunity against the sickness of sin is boosted. That there is a resilience within our bodies because of the work of Christ to eject and to repel the sin that so easily entices. Today is the day that we were reminded that the blood of Christ coagulates in the wounds of our lives and in our communities to heal us and to heal our world. This was the moment that the true well was opened. Not a well of bricks and buckets, but a well of living water. A well of love and forgiveness that flows freely toward you and me and into all of the earth for the renewal and for the healing of our hearts and all of creation. It is a very good Friday. It is his blood that saves us and it is his living water that renews us. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to take communion together this morning. Because in the same way that God disarmed Pharaoh of his power over his people through, oh sorry, in the same way that God disarmed Pharaoh of his power over his people through Jesus, he disarmed the power of sin over you and me. To do it, he didn't send plagues, but his son. Not frogs or flies, but forgiveness. Not gnats, but grace. Not darkness, but light. He didn't send locusts, but love. So this morning, we're going to take the bread and the cup. 
And we're going to remember the lamb that was slain and that it was he in the desert from whence the water came. He was struck for us and from him comes an offering and outpouring of forgiveness, of love, of grace and of mercy. So as we sing this song, I invite you to come down and I'll grab two of our elders to come and place a COVID uh, safe glove on and they'll serve you the bread. Feel free to take your own cup as someone serves you the uh, bread um, anytime. And then um, we'll, uh, we're going to sing this song at the foot of the cross together. And just take some moments. And I have all the faith in the world, and it's only a really small amount, that in this very moment as we remember the blood that in our captivity of sin that was given, that we are set free. And as we consider the thirstiness of our own souls, the, the, the place that is dissatisfied with what this world would have to offer. As we consider the barren places, the desert-like places, the places of our frustration and our grumbling and our groaning before the Lord. And as we take communion, the living presence of God this morning, the risen Christ among us, that this would be not just a moment of remembrance, but for every heart, a moment of revelation. That you are loved. That you walk out of captivity and into sonship and into daughtership. That the things in which you were bound, Jesus came to set you free. Into the places of your greatest need and greatest thirst, he is present this morning. To heal you, to restore you, to nourish you. To allow all of the blessing of heaven to infiltrate your physical bodies, to infiltrate your soul, your spirit, your mind, and to save and refresh this morning in Jesus' name. And so as we sing, I invite you to come down, grab the bread which signifies Jesus' body broken and battered for you and I, and the blood that saves. And come on down. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.